Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear dance educator Mary Wood in conversation with three members of San Francisco Ballet's production department, production stage manager Jane Green, master of properties Kenny Ryan, and manager of wardrobe, wig, makeup, and costume construction Kate Scher. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020, before a performance of Christopher Wielden's Cinderella. Hope you enjoy. Well, I want to say thank you to Jenny and uh, to say my welcome to all of you to this evening's Points of View program, as well as to San Francisco Ballet's 87th repertory season. That's a lot of seasons, and it's going to be a very exciting season with really interesting, fun stuff for you. Um, As you heard from Jenny, there's a wealth of opportunities to dig deeper into your experience of the ballet this season, and I do check it all out, either in your program booklet or, of course, on the company's website. We're kicking off the season with one of our most beloved full-length works, Cinderella, with choreographer, choreography by Christopher Wilden to the marvelous and familiar score by Sergei Prokofiev. The thing about this brand of evening-length ballet is it's all about telling a story. And the story is a fairy tale. And a particular feature of a fairy tale is that things happen magically, not the way they do in our humdrum lives. From the very beginning of theater history, um, we, on this side of the curtain, have been fascinated with the devices and the mechanicals that make the audience believe that the magic is actually happening on stage. So this evening, we're going to treat you to a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, We're going to try to balance that fine line between letting you in on some of the tricks and secrets and not spoiling the surprises. Show of hands, how many of you are seeing this production for the first time? Fun. (laughs) Oh, you're just going to have such a good time. Um, So I'm delighted to uh, welcome my partners in this conversation. Uh, To my right, Jane Green, production stage manager. And then next is Kate Scher, manager of wardrobe, wig, makeup, and costume construction. And Kenneth Ryan, who is master of properties. It could be said that a production like this takes a village, or maybe an army, (laughs) to, uh, to get to a performance stage. And uh, each of you manages a neighborhood in this village. Starting with uh, Jane, who's down here, your job as production stage manager may be the most broad. Um, Is it fair to say that the ballet doesn't start until you have said it can? (laughs) That hopefully is true. (laughs) So, thumbnail of your actual work, your job description. Uh, As Mary said, it's quite broad. Uh, But what the part that you will see on stage, my job is running the show, 
and which also mean, which means calling all of the queues, starting with taking the house lights out, sending the conductor to the pit, which then starts everything rolling. Outside of that, myself and our stage manager, we spend a lot of time in the studio helping rehearse the ballet, making sure they have what they need, working with music on making sure that they have what they need, and a lot of paperwork and things to give to other people who also help run the show. So you're the one who actually says to the... And curtains aren't raised by ropes anymore, are they? They are, but the ropes are mostly run by computers. So you're the one that tells him to push the button? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and Kate, your title is a bit of a mouthful. Yes, um, sounds like it covers a lot of ground. This is wardrobe and wig and makeup and costume construction, which is, we're going to say, different from just wardrobe. Yes. So um, expand on all that a little bit. Uh, I like to say that I oversee what goes on a dancer from head to toe. So I also take care of shoes. So uh, I oversee a lot of people an amazing group of people and oversee people, in fact, around the world who actually build our costumes. We don't build in-house. So I have had builders in Slovakia and London and New York and Canada uh, who we, I'm in charge of making sure that they are making the right thing for us. Um, but then I have a crew here of people who actually do the wardrobe and get everybody dressed and fix everything and do the makeup and the hair on all of our artists. So. And I'm sure there's some laundry. And I have laundry people, and I have stitchers, and I have, yes, everything. Oh, wow. Well, we are definitely going to be looking at some of the fantastic costumes in this production and um, hope to hear a little bit more about how it goes from the designer's head to the dancer's body through you. <laughs> okay. Um, Kenny, master of properties. That just sounds so grand. <laughs> Absolutely um, <laughs> nothing to do with real estate. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's good to know. Master sounds like it comes from uh, the old theatrical tradition. Is that Absolutely. Is your job and is yeah. just one of those that we've had the, forever? The title has never changed. Wow. And I'm going to say that yours is maybe the most ambiguous title in that you're what you do isn't necessarily self-evident because, as we've just said, properties doesn't always mean the same thing to but other it, people. The, so, the, the way I try to describe yeah. what I do to people mm -hmm. that don't know what I do is in the theater, you all have a pretty good idea of what the carpenter does. They have the big scenery pieces, the drops mm -hmm. that fly, the electricians deal with all the lights. Mm -hmm. The sound people deal with all the microphones and the sound aspects of it. You know, the reinforcement of the orchestra, those types of things. I kind of catch everything else. It's kind of a cornucopia of things is the easiest way to look at it. I set the chairs in the orchestra. Th these chairs that were sitting in the carpet on the floor and the plants and the little coffee tables and our cups of water my, my crew and I did. So it's really, you know, we sweep and we clean the theater. Part of our responsibility, we empty the... We used to just empty the garbage. Now we empty the recycling and the compost, too. <laughs> okay. So things that... that I was going to say things that move, 
but move in a different way. Things that people handle. Yeah, basically, okay. if if the dancers, anything that they hand dancers come in contact with, it's like the floor is my responsibility. So this evening, for those that have seen the show, the Act One and Act Three floor is the blue floor that you see on either side of us. In Act Two, it's a red orange with a pattern. I put that floor down during the intermission. That. And then in the second intermission, we take it away. Lots of magic happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, back to Jane. Um, I'm going to um, give us a little taste, and I want to give you some forewarning. Because of the wonderful nature of all of their work, the slides that we presented are not going to be linear, so I may hop around a little bit. I don't want anybody to get dizzy if that's happening to you. Um, this is what we might call a complex ballet, a complex full-length work. Balanchines, um, four temperaments, the dancers get on stage and the lights go on and then the curtain comes down and it's that's done. Um, this has so much going on, yes. and you're working on all of it. Just as an example, um, I read in some of the publicity that Nutcracker has umpty gazillion set changes in the yeah. first act, mm -hmm. and that was very impressive. So how does, how does Cinderella compare in terms of that kind of complexity? I'm trying to think of a good way, good way to answer it. They, it is also complex, and in some ways is more complex because it has many more scenes, and so we spend a lot more time changing scenes since the first act has seven, seven different scenes, and so there's a change between all but two of them. So there's quite a lot that happens, and you'll see that there are light cue changes. There are projections. There are many projections that you'll see, like looking at this photo in the next one, all of the portraits are projections. Um, there are scenic elements that move, that fly in, that roll on. These, yeah, so each of these uh, portraits that you see up here are projections, and then there are different cues within this particular scene while you're, while you will, where you will see the projections move and respond to what's happening on stage. So there's quite a bit of complexity. It just happens sort of in, in spurts, I guess. So in comparison to Nutcracker, where most of the complexity is funneled into one or two places, uh, Cinderella, I spend a lot of time talking. <laughs> there are a lot of cues, a lot of follow-spot cues. So if you're not actually calling a cue, there's, you know, giving a warning, giving standbys, so there's just, it, it kind of is a constant. Let's, um, we might come back to this. Let's look at this. Jane has provided us with a photograph of two pages of musical score. Yeah. That's interesting. Why do you have a musical score? So I use the musical score to call cues. Uh, my opinion has always been that for however many stage managers are out there, there's that many different ways of doing a show, and none of them are wrong. As long as the crew understands what you're saying and the things happen at the right time, then it just, you know, you, you do it how it works. Uh, for me, I learned calling a show from a musical score. And what I use, is you'll see the different colors of the, the stickers. 
for me, the green stickers are rail cues, so anything that goes up and down on the rail. The orange cues, the orange dots are lighting and projection cues. The yellow are uh, follow spots. And then the lighter orange, I think, are dry ice fog in this particular case. So it's, I, re I read this score. I use the score basically as a roadmap. And as you get to the particular note is when you say go on each thing. But it also involves uh, anticipating because nothing happens exactly when you say it. So you anticipate when to say go, for them to hit a button, for it to happen. And without giving much away, this particular two pages is are the moments when the coach is about yeah. to appear magically. These are the last two pages of Act One. So it's going into the Cinderella's carriage. And there's quite a lot happening. Yeah. I'm just looking at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I did want to, before we lose this, I want to go back here. You said these are projections. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and the... The photos in there actually, they, they change their expressions or move their heads yes. a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's kind of fun. So it's a fun thing to look for in that scene. And um, another little, since you're such a good group who came here to hear all of this stuff, especially, you get to hear special things. Um, there are recognizable people in there. And one of the most recognizable is Christopher Whelden. The choreographer. Now, can you, in looking at the at the portrait wall, can anybody actually find the one that's Christopher Wielden? We can give it away. He's the top top right, large second one from the right. Yeah. Have I got that right? Yeah. So that's Christopher Wielden himself. Is there anybody else that we know? I, I under, my understanding is that Jackie Barrett, who was Christopher Wielden's assistant in choreographing this, is also one of the pictures, but I honestly don't remember which one she is. But So that's just a little fun thing. And it passes by pretty quickly. So yeah, you want to be sure busy. that when the portrait wall comes up, you're looking to see what that's going to be. Um, I threw in... Um, a few pictures that just show you some of the fun and beautiful costumes. I want to ask Kate, um, actually I have a quote here from Julian Crouch, who's the designer, and he said, fairy tales are once upon a time, not once upon 1870. And the period in this ballet is sort of Flexible. Very, yes. And, uh, yeah, generally 1800s, but he says spread over the century. Uh, each character is allowed to drift a bit in time. And um, then he says, I'd say it's timeless. Um, talk about how the... Hello. We're going to have to get our... There we go. Okay. Um, almost lost it. Um... The, the, the costumes are going to vary between what the, the human characters are wearing and what the fantastical creatures are wearing. Um, this, these are humans. And this is the prince. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> the prince and his father and mother. Yes. 
So they're sort of in, what would you call that, 18, or does it even matter? I don't think it even matters at this okay. point. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to this, so excuse us if we move past that. There we are. Mm-hmm. Who's that? Uh, that's one of our gnomes. We actually had the joy of having Basil Twist do a lot of the puppetry. So there was a lot of work between Julian Crouch as the designer and Basil Twist to design these gnomes and other creatures uh, to be a part of the world. Uh, it's Cinderella. It's a fantasy. She has a, you know, fairy step, fairy godmother. I mean, and uh, and so as she transforms into the ball, she actually goes and sees these creatures and the seasons and the tree and everything that's part of her world. And you see them throughout, which is interesting. So these are dancers. This, this, this are. is a photograph of live people. Um, let's move. Sorry, we're jumping again. Here are some drawings, especially look at the one on your right of the there, tree. The tree is, in the story, the most important element. And for those of you who will have read your program notes, there is no fairy godmother in this production. And Christopher Wilden's concept, um, developed with his dramaturge, was to make the tree the sort of the center of the magic, I guess is one way of putting it. Um, so I'm going to ask Jane to talk about the tree because it's, it's, it's a living creature. It really is, yeah. <laughs> and I guess maybe I should read this quote too now about the tree. Um, Basil Twist, as you mentioned, is um, a puppeteer who was working closely with Julian Crouch. And um, he spoke about how the tree works. It uses lighting, it uses projection, and it's also a bunch of set pieces. And he says, um, one of Basil Twist's primary roles was to make the tree be more than scenery, a character that would, in effect, dance. The mechanics aren't that difficult, he says, but it's, it's just like moving any piece of scenery. But then you get to the moment when you're choreographing for the tree to the music, and you're saying, now it makes this shape, now it's that shape. You feel the tree as you would a dancer. That's when it comes alive. So how, do, how does the tree happen? The tree is actually it's on six different line sets. So the trunk itself is one, and then going downstage from that, there's the main kind of leaf, bush, bush, I guess, part of the foliage, and then there are four additional line sets that have different pieces of foliage. So when you watch the seasons, it changes between seasons, and along with the projections that are on the tree, the lighting and the projections both, create a look of what it would look like in each season. So you sort of see it move as though it would go, you know, spring when it's growing with all of its new leaves and flowers, and then summer when it, you know, it kind of fills out, and then this is um, 
part of the autumn look. This is actually from the finale, but it's um, the lighting color of it is the finale look. And then winter is actually a spectacular kind of icy blue. So each time we go from a season to season, you see the tree move and change. And with the projection on it, it's really stunning, quite stunning, I think. Um, what's happening here? Well, when Cinderella... Um, the tree is really her, it's supposed to, be, to sort of symbolize the spirit of her mother. It grows from behind her mother's grave. Mm -hmm. um, so when she goes and dances with all of the seasons and the creatures, she basically gets sucked into the tree to get ready for the ball. Which is just an amazing moment. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty cool moment. <laughs> so... Um, We're getting, did we already pass the dress? Sorry, everybody, this is what I was afraid of. Nah, oh, the dress, dress is ahead too. of us. They're cool pictures anyway, there it is. Okay, so Cinderella being readied for the ball is one of the most important elements of this story, of course. And her um, birds are very much a theme. And we've seen those fantastical birds that come and dance with her. Her dress that she is dressed in for the ball is gold and feathers. Except, <laughs> what happens if you have a dress all made of feathers? Uh, it does not last more than <laughs> one performance. Uh, so... What my understanding, as I was not here for the creation, and in fact, this was not built here, but they uh, scanned photos of feathers and printed them on the fabric, and that's what we've used as the fabric. So it looks like it should be feathers and alive and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Malleable? Uh, but it's not, it's actually just printed. And it's just, it's so gorgeous, and it's golden. And As are her shoes. Well, yes, her shoes are golden. <laughs> We're just, so that was a great segue. Thank you just you. tossed that to Kenny, didn't you? I thought he should talk for a moment. Okay, so, well, the most, we've talked about the sort of important elements, the tree, the ball gown. But this whole story is about the slipper. <laughs> and the slipper is a prop, Right. It's funny. There's multiple slippers. There, the the one that they try to fit on everybody is a prop. The one who they try to get on one of the stepdaughter's foot is a prop. The one that is discovered as the true slipper that Cinderella loses is actually a point shoe of the dancer performing Cinderella that night. They, they have to prepare their shoes. They prepare their shoes so it's ready. They take it to uh, women's wardrobe and they put gold leaf on it and turn it into a golden shoe. And that's what you'll see her dancing at the end. And for act two. That's what she, she dances in gold-leafed shoes. Uh, it's a 
long process of gold leafing done by my staff of people. That's fabulous. So it's it's not a glass slipper. No, no glass on stage. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> we, we did at one point. Uh, Very briefly. Chris Wielden wanted real glasses for the wedding, and I told him up. Okay, I'm not very happy about it until somebody breaks one. Then it's done. It ended, I think, during the second season, if I remember correctly. Well, it lasted that long. Yeah. <laughs> They're only on stage for about two minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there's a lovely scene toward the end. Oh, we're going to get Kate to talk about This is the scene where they're um, gathering for the wedding, and the tree is important again here, and... Nope, I don't see the toasting of champagne. There's toasting of champagne there somewhere. Um, the, um, so this is just one thing that, that has always fascinated me. If the gold slipper is actually on Cinderella's foot, and she has just danced several variations in a pot de but how does it get, does she have to scramble to take it off? So that's... She has intermission. At the intermission between the second and third act, uh, we receive the shoe, and there's a little shelf under the table, and that's where it goes. We just preset it there, and after that, the dancers, one of the fates pulls it out to get it to where it needs to be during the third act. So So when they discover it, it's... It's in its hiding spot on the stage somewhere else from where it started. <laughs> it's she, it's, she it's a follow part. the slipping slipper she does game. That part, yes. <laughs> so it does and you have put it there or the dancer puts it there? My crew takes it and puts it under mm-hmm. the table. Okay. Then it goes up onto the mantelpiece. Because Cinderella puts it up there. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, and then she somehow has to get right. it on her foot. Right. Yes. And, he has to get and then the prince foot. has to get a shoe onto somebody else's foot. Yes. And anybody who has ever watched a professional dancer tie a pair of ballet or point shoes on, it's sort of that's the magic of theater is how she can actually get it done. And in, in uh, luckily, the, she only has to run around on stage for a couple of seconds, and then she exits oh, okay. and gets to actually change into real point shoes. Okay. She does not wear the gold ones for the second part of the third act. <laughs> it's very confusing. Well, follow the it's a, sh- it's luckily, a show about a shoe. Yes. And luckily I have people who know this. Thank goodness. I have a, the principal dresser. We have, in fact, two new Cinderellas this year, and they both came to me and said, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I said, you go to the principal dresser. She knows exactly what to do. So they went to Musette, and thank goodness for Musette. Okay. Uh, well, one of the things that just blew by was this. A show like this, it's a fairy tale, and the dancers and the, the creatures are not just humans. So we're back to... For the Balanchine Ballet, you're going to put on your stage makeup that just is makes you look like a better human. This is pretty exotic. So, how is every single face designed? 
Yes. It, I, for every ballet, every face is designed, and it may just be all core ladies wear natural makeup. But everyone is always told what they're supposed to wear for makeup and, in fact, what their hair should look like as well. And so, I mean, these are very unusual eyebrows. They are. They are a, um, a brand called Face Lace. They are specially made. A lot of people use them for weird cosplay things. I, I don't really know. But they are um, put on by our makeup artists every in, during basically the intermission between... No, before they go on for Act 1 and then taken off immediately because most of these people will, in fact, also be courtiers in Act 2. And so their hair will change as well. So it's a very busy intermission. So I have a lot of people downstairs working very hard. You must have to expand your crew for a, pe- a show like this. Absolutely. Usually I have a core crew of about uh, six hair and makeup people and seven wardrobe people on this. I have 18 wardrobe people, including stitchers and laundry and my heads. And I have... I think 13 hair and makeup. Um, And in fact, I have a hair and makeup person. I have two hair and makeup people dedicated to Cinderella herself. That's amazing. That's that's a wonderful fun fact. Um, Talk about the, the hair, the green hair. So the seasons all have different colored hair based on their season and based on which... Um, it's it's absolutely all different colors. You can see actually the one on the. If you go back to that, sorry. Um, oh, sorry, I'm. Doing, it's okay. Going the wrong direction. So there's blue for winter, and it matches the costume, and green for spring. Spring. Yeah. I always do that every time. <laughs> so green for spring, which matches the costumes. Uh, there's a yellow for summer and an orangish color for autumn. And this is another opportunity to see some of the colored costumes yep. here. And I think there she is dancing actually with the human yes. spring. So she has green hair and the men also get green wigs for well, there's no green actually. There are no men in the spring. But so there are men just in the other ones. But so in some of the traditional Cinderella's, there are fairies for the different seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, they aren't fairies, they're spirits. I guess there's a difference. And um, they represent qualities as well as seasons. Yes. Which they imbue Cinderella so that she will be graced. Um, there's another really exciting element to this show that I want to be sure we talk about, and that is the fates. And here we go again, folks. I'm sorry. We're going to go find the fates. They're there. First of all, if you look at the call board, you see that the dancers are supposed to sign in at a certain time to start getting ready for the show. The four fates are called half an hour earlier than everybody else. What's that about? Uh, that's for makeup purposes. If you look at them, you can see that barely. They actually have gold leaf on their face. 
So they have to come in early and go downstairs and go to the makeup artist and get gold leaf done on their face. So, um, again, we don't have a fairy godmother, <laughs> and we don't have mice and rats and those things, but we have these four fates who um, take the role of moving Cinderella. They sort of represent her, the spirit of her mother. Am I getting that right? I twisted that. I, I think a little bit. I think they're there to take care of her. They're, mm -hmm. they're just there to oversee her. You'll see every once in a while she does like a little trip and one of them catches her. Right. And they're just there to make sure she's okay. It, it is, I, I think a lot of it's mm -hmm. the mother just being there to oversee mm -hmm. her and make sure that she's okay for her life. And in this particular scene, it's, it's kind of a tricky picture. But the fates have lifted Cinderella up and away from the family. The family are just sitting around the dining table, and they don't see the fates. So they are definitely of the spirit world. Um, is, are the fates, in, in, other than having to make them up especially, um, are they in any way in your purview as scenery or props, or are they really just dancers? I'm, for me, they're just dancers. That's what, nothing else. They, you know, that's enough. <laughs> they do move a couple of things a little bit, but for the most part, all of their working with Cinderella and everything is, is choreography and it is dance, much, mm -hmm. much more, yeah. We're going to wrap up in two and a half minutes. Do you have anything that we... We've hopped around a little bit. We've talked about the tree and the slipper and the gold bird feather dress, um, the wonderful portrait wall. Uh, is there anything that is going to be exciting and wonderful and surprising that, we, that you think the audience would like to know about in advance? I, I was asking to a couple of my crew people earlier today, you know, What's your favorite prop? And they said the poppers. What the poppers are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jane knows why it's their favorite. Uh, it just, it's got a cork and a slide, and you push it, and it pops the cork out. We can't open a bottle of champagne on stage every night. It'll get messy. So the, there's waiters, and they're just miming opening the pop the bottle of champagne and the crew is off stage popping it but it's it just sounds like a champagne cork popping however the reason why they like it it's the end of the show and we get to go home <laughs> listen for the popping <laughs> kate any special costume makeup hair wig thing that we should watch for <laughs> did you hear it they just um, popped it i think it it's just the magic of this. I, unlike the two of these people, get to sit and watch this uh, while we rehearse it. So I've seen it five times in the last four days. Um, and it's just the magic. I just think it's, it's... I have been doing this for a long time, so I know what the magic tricks are, but it's nice to sort of every once in a while see that there's a magic trick that I don't know. So I just love that part of this one. Jane? I think um, it's not so much something that you would see, but I, 
one of the most amazing things to me, and again, having been in this business for a very long time, is to is the choreography that you don't see. And that's what happens backstage, is that while I'm calling all of the cues, there are many, 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 many people that are in back coordinating. Our stage manager, Katie, who's in back, just coordinating the whole choreography of the seasons, running, you'll watch as they go running in and out of the tree, from behind the tree. The crew that is getting the porticos from one place to the other and everything that just has to happen um, in a certain amount of time. The lights change, this has to happen here, this has to happen here. So I think that's one of the things that amazes me is just um, that unfortunately you, you know, I guess unfortunately you don't get to see, but fortunately what it does is make it look beautiful to you on stage. But it's all of the things that have to happen in the right order backstage. Well, when you watch the performance, I hope that most of you are staying for this evening's performance. Um, I hope you will be watching for some of the things we've talked about, but there's just so much more, and just let it wash over you. It's, it's splendid. We look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks when Program 2 returns to the Points of View programs. Thank you, and thank you all. This is really fun. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programs, check out sfballet.org or your favorite podcast player.